Today I wanted to talk about a life of practice. Maybe the framing question is something like, what are we doing with our life? And this is a relevant question at all stages of life, actually. And there's an understanding uh, within the spiritual world that there are ways we can approach our life that make it into a path, you know, make it into uh, the creation of something that will help our mind and heart to grow and perhaps even to grow beyond certain kinds of suffering that we had earlier in life. There's the assumption and the understanding in the spiritual realm that we're not done developing uh, when once we reach physical maturity, you know, that there's a lot more that can go on. And it's, it's different from physical maturing, which happens by itself, you know, as long as the body continues, is that there's a sort of a conscious or intentional element to spiritual cultivation, uh, where we do it until we're not the ones doing it. <laughs> but there is um, there's something additional going on there if we choose. And if we don't, um, it doesn't really happen. So that means that we can think about you know, what we're doing with our life energy as being on a path or not. So in a way, there's kind of these two options when we reach adulthood. And these ideas, of course, are not only Buddhist. There are many paths that are understood. Many teachers and philosophers have noted that having some kind of discipline or practice or conscious engagement with life really makes a difference. It makes a big difference. I think everyone here knows that to some degree. Maybe that's why we're here. <laughs> so I think the, the deepest spiritual teachers will talk at some point about a path that includes letting go. Uh, there is this cultivation, development, conscious engagement. But in the end, what we're doing somehow is untangling, letting go, freeing, cutting free, expanding, transcending choose your words. So it's an interesting path, isn't it? We have to do something and engage or it won't happen. Um, but what we're engaging with is letting go. <laughs> so it turns around a little bit how we think about things in that if we have to engage to let go, it means that what we're doing somehow is holding on <laughs> without knowing it. And that is part of the path of knowledge is to understand how it is that we're doing that and find ways not to do that. So I wanted to speak today about life as a practice. Um, what is it that we can do to find excellence, to uh, reach new stages of human flourishing? What does that mean in terms of uh, the qualities that we would bring to our life? and the areas of life that we would engage with. I mean, eventually we'll engage with everything, but there are particular areas of cultivation that are useful. 
So this is about seeing humans as practicing animals, if you will. What makes us different from beings that are just going along with the habits, just doing, you know, what they do. Uh, can we, what, what else can we do? So I don't think we expect everyone to be a practitioner in their life. We look around and see that not everyone is, but it is something that we can choose and something that we notice that some people are doing. And so we can wonder about that. And what are the qualities of that and what are, what's engaged with when we do that? There's a saying from the Jewish tradition, many are called, but few choose to be chosen. So this is about those maybe who have chosen to be chosen. So some qualities of a practitioner. I think first, I'll name the, the starkest one first, which is that there is some form of renunciation to be a practitioner in life, to see life as a practice or a path does require some kind of a renunciation. If you prefer a positive term, you could use calling, an internal calling towards something. And the reason though that I choose the term renunciation is that to do a path, you have to decide that you're not doing some other things. It's just how it is. Um, and, um, to engage with a practice, with a discipline, with a, whatever it is that we're engaged with, um, means that we have to make time and space for it in some way. And so there's a, a honing in of the mind onto that. Um, so we really do have to give up things in order to have a richer, fuller, more meaningful life. Some of those things are material, for sure. Um, it's not that we're all going to become starving artists, um, although some people do that. And, you know, those are folks who have really dedicated their life to their, they have to, it's their calling. And so certain things just become less important. But even if we live a comfortable material existence in a conventional sense, there are ways in which we can't care about that too much if we're a practitioner. We can't be all wrapped up in getting more, having more, producing more, protecting all of that. So if we have it, that's fine. Um, but it's somehow not a focus if we're engaged on a path. And for some, it's not important at all. And it's just something that the person never really cultivates as anything material. And then there's also a renunciation, this is more subtle, of some of the conventional views from the culture. Because in general, conventional culture uh, doesn't really encourage having a serious path in life. That's not always what it's about. And so there will be some renunciation of conventionality or of keeping up with the Joneses in a certain way. There's a way in which we become mentally free uh, through our path. And it takes some discipline to do that, doesn't it? If we're surrounded by people who don't think that way, if we need to engage with aspects of our society that aren't really about that. Um, it's not that we can't engage with those things or can't be with those people, but that's part of the discipline is to have the strength that we can still do our path, uh, even in the presence of these other things. So that's a little bit the 
the renunciation aspect so that there's a certain commitment or calling that narrows the way that we engage with the result of things becoming fuller. I'll just name three of these uh, qualities of a practitioner. So the second is uh, converting all problems to internal problems. What does that mean? So it means somehow that we look at what's outside of us or we feel the way in which we're struggling with life. And we, our first instinct is to look at our contribution to that. This does not at all mean that we're condoning everything that goes on or that we think uh, there are no problems that need to be addressed <laughs> in society or anywhere else, not at all but that we understand inherently that if we're on a path, it's something about changing ourselves. It's something about cultivating and developing ourselves. And so when we run into difficulties, which all paths have difficulties, there are rocks on every road, we, we say, oh, this is interesting. What is this saying? What, what can I, how can I meet this internally? And meditation, of course, is one of the best tools for providing us with um, means to do that. And so, this sense that um, the challenges we have are somehow related to us is actually enormously empowering. It means nobody can stop us. Um, we always have a way forward because it's always somehow something that we can do with ourselves to meet this situation. This is one of the most beautiful parts of dedicating our life to practice, the empowerment that comes from that understanding. And then thirdly, not to sound too idealistic, but there is a way in which a practitioner can act upon the world without being acted upon by it. And that doesn't, like I said, that doesn't mean that I'm denying some kind of interconnection. Definitely there is total interconnection. The self is not a separate entity that we could define. But have you noticed that people who are very spiritually strong can enter into situations and meet them without being thrown off. So they can be there, be present, maybe even act or speak in a way that's helpful, beneficial, um, but they're not being impinged upon by the chaos of the world or the difficulty of the situation. So this has to do with the strength of our attention the cultivation of intention to be in our practice at all times. And we know what it feels like when we don't manage to do that either, which is frequently perhaps, but we know what that's like, right? We think later, oh, I let myself get reactive there. I let somebody push my buttons. Um, and so then we think, okay, convert the problem to an internal problem. How could I maybe meet that a little more clearly next time? So it's not an ideal of non-contact, but an ideal perhaps of mm, centeredness. Yeah. So these are important qualities of a practitioner, the renunciation, the sense of an internal ground to work with, and also um, this sense of uh, acting but not being acted upon so much. So then where are areas that are we're called upon particularly to work if we are gonna be a spiritual practitioner in life? 
one of them is the material realm, actually, to learn what is enough, what is just enough. We do need material things. We do need relationships and objects and situations that come about through um, our material engagement with the world. But we learn as if a person is on a sort of a calling or a practice, we learn that actually there's dukkha or suffering in having too much, as much as in having not enough. Do you have this sense, you know, that there can be too much actually, um, and there can be, it gets complicated mentally to have a lot of stuff and a lot of complicated relationships and all kinds of things. So um, we cultivate having the right amount in the material world. It's a real practice. This frees us from fear, you know, fear of loss, fear of whatever, uh, from the need to overwork, the need to overeat, if we know that we have just enough, we can stop putting out more effort before it gets to be too much. So this really frees us from a lot of dukkha is to have some wisdom around the material realm. Another area that we work is the area of understanding death. It's a very common one for practitioners. And, um, you know, if that's not up for you right now, that's fine. Um, but it may be at some point is a that really brings us up to the understanding of what's important as well as what's enough. <laughs> if looking around, you know that all of this will be let go. If you really know that, it really can change uh, the amount of freedom that you have around all these things, all the things that come into our life and flow out of our life. This is one of the unique qualities perhaps of humans is to really know that we're going to die if we open to that. and it has such power. That's why all the spiritual teachers talk about it. Not because we're trying to focus you on your death and something depressing, but because there's so much power there, so much potential. So if you're interested in engaging in that, luckily Buddhism has lots and lots of tools for approaching that realm. And then thirdly, there's a sense of um, our relationship to society becomes an area of work. Um, because society is not perfectly attuned to our path, we have to understand how we're going to engage with the institutions of society, with the expectations of society. Uh, we're not free of our culture. We are very much cultural beings by nature. But how do we engage with that? What does it mean to us? Where are we willing to uh, stand up and be that? And where are we going to uh, pull back and say, actually, I'm not that part. Uh, so, you know, really uh, looking at this, I think different people find different combinations. That's why some folks on a path decide it's best to go live in a cave. Some decide it's best to become a political activist. Depends on where you are. Neither of those is perfect for everyone. So knowing where it is that you fit in, where is nourishing, where is a furtherment of your path, and where is not. There's a lot of wisdom to be gained around that. Um, the very nature of having a practice is that you're not just doing what society says you conventionally should. So then that needs to be made conscious and really look at what institutions you engage with and how. So mostly we have this method of turning toward what is troubling, what is dukkha, what seems not to work, where we have friction, look at that. 
and find the freedom through that. And if we did that continually, we'll have more and more and more freedom. And amazingly, what we discover in that opening, that letting go, is softness, humility, love, all the things that we thought maybe we could find by grabbing at them, we actually find by letting go. It's so beautiful. And we become freed in the end from compulsion, from having to do things a certain way, from having to be certain things, uh, from having to have a certain degree of health or wealth or love from others. All those things that are not so reliable, we become freed from the compulsion for them. And the result of that is various kinds of freedom. So we might express it as peace, as presence, as love. Um, it'll be a little different for everyone. But it's so beautiful to be with others who have a practice, who are engaging with life as a path. Um, we find real fullness through taking these areas of life and making them into something that's nutritious for us, if you will. We don't get a choice about having a body and a mind. We got born into that. How do we use them well? And to engage in that is, I think, one of the most beautiful things someone can do with a human life. And so I just like to honor that the degree to which all of us, any of us are doing that is very beautiful, very worthy, and something that I hope you appreciate in yourself and others. Thank you so much. <laughs>